new year. In Jesus' name, amen. How you spent the last few days, I think, says a lot about your personality and how you're wired. Uh, This is one of the weirdest weeks in the year that we just wrapped up. Uh, You know, the calendar seems to get really, really fuzzy in between Christmas and New Year's. And I find myself at points throughout the last week, and this happens to me every year, where I'm like, what day is it? What time is it? Where am I? It just, it just feels like the, the whole world slows down. And, and some of us, we, we choose to take this time during the year. We say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get all of my sweets in. I'm going to eat all the candy before it gets thrown away. I'm going to eat all the pie. I'm going to live in the holiday zone. Some of us on December 26th, we were back in the gym. We beat the crowd. We were there. And others of us were like, hey, I have a few more days to get my goals for the year completed. I set a goal during this year that I was going to read a certain number of books. And I finished the last 15 pages of my last book yesterday afternoon. So I just, just got it in there, um, ran it down to the very last moment. Uh, but that's how we tend to spend this time of year. And, and some of us, as Dave mentioned earlier, we, we tend to start thinking about our plans for the new year. And I did some research this week, and I found that 50% of Americans make resolutions. So that means that you're either a resolution maker or a resolution hater, but that covers all of us in this room. For those of you who made the resolutions, though, I want to give you a, a heads up of where, where your year is going to go. A quarter of you who made resolutions are going to abandon them by next Sunday. So there we go. Uh, successful start to 2023. Others of you, you're going to have a little bit more endurance and you're going to make it to summer. But 50% of resolutions fail by summer. And this time next year, January 1st, 2024, only 8% have kept their resolutions going all year long. of resolutions fail to create lasting change. Well, as I was thinking about how do we start the new year, how do we celebrate and kick off this new year, I started thinking about plans and goals and resolutions and the things that we want. But what I realized as I was thinking about my own life and even for you is that in between us and all the things that we want to see happen this year, all the things that we want God to do in us and through us, all the things that we're praying for and planning, there are very real obstacles in our way. Um, That's the reason why 92% of resolutions fail. It wasn't that you didn't want those things. It's that there were obstacles that got in the way of those things. And so I want to give you a heads up of the three enemies to what Jesus is going to do in 2023. So I just want to kind of predict, I'm going to put my Nostradamus hat on for a little bit, and I'm going to predict what are the three things that are going to get in your way in this new year to keep you from experiencing what Jesus wants to do. And the first one is control. Control. We have this pursuit for control. In her book about it's all about control, the author Jennifer Dukes Lee says that the craving for control believes I'm safer and I'm more secure if I'm in charge. Some of you, that's like your life motto, you know? The world would be better, everything would be smoother if I was the one in charge. Some of you, that's why you say that you're a control freak. You know, or maybe other people call you a control freak. That's one of the reasons we love being controlled. We think that we'll be safer and more secure. And for some of us, control is our greatest obstacle to what God wants. Because here's the thing. If you're in control, guess who's not? God. 
If you're the one who's in charge, guess who's not? God. In her book, The Cost of Control, Sharon Hottie Miller says this, study after study has shown a link between feeling out of control and experiencing anxiety disorders. I'll just pause right there. That's where a lot of us lived the last three years in 2020, 2021, and 2022. We felt out of control and that skyrocketed our anxiety. Sharon continues, the illusion of control is powerful. If we feel like we are in control, it doesn't matter if we actually are. I mean, is that what happened during 2020? We realized just how not in control we were. And it wasn't that we lost a sense of control. We lost the illusion of control. Sharon continues. She says, we as individuals and we as a culture crave control so desperately that we will reject reality and live in denial of our limitations for as long as we possibly can. And I, I read, I told you I had a book goal for this year. Um, I read 70 books in 2022. And one of the best ones was a book we, our whole staff read together called The Cost of Control by Sharon Hottie Miller, which is where that quote came from. And it wasn't just a good book in terms of intellectually. It was a great book experientially because at various moments throughout this past year, I felt completely out of control. In 2022, I went to the ER four times, had my gallbladder removed, had COVID uh, a second time, uh, had multiple CAT scans and x-rays. I definitely hit my out-of-pocket maximum with my insurance company. Um, so I'm hoping to not do that again in 2023. Uh, but as I went all throughout last year with me being sick and my kids being sick and realizing my lack of control, what I found is that I didn't actually in those moments crave more of God, if I was honest. I craved more control. I realized what was longing deep in my heart was not, man, God, I want to experience more of you. God, come help and fill this space. Honestly, in those moments, what I wanted was I just want to be back in control again. And that's my fear for you, is that if you got what you wanted this year and you got control, what might happen is you might get what you want and actually miss God. So the first enemy to what God wants to do in our lives this year, I think, is control. The second one is comfort. We love comfort. Not all of you who are watching from home today, but some of you may be doing so because you love comfort. I know you got cup holders here at the college and these are comfy seats, but maybe your lazy boy or your couch is even more comfortable because you can wear PJs there with less shame than you would here. But we live in a culture that loves comfort. We love the easy path. That's why we love two-day Amazon Prime shipping. That's why we love clickless grocery store pickup. We love things that are easy. And for some of us, we just actually want the easiest way possible and and the challenge for you is, if that's you, is that God will not always call you to the easiest thing. Like one way to test if it's God is not, is this path easy, therefore it's God. If you think so, I'd encourage you to make a reading goal for this year of this book. Because that's at least not how God worked in this book. But for others of us, the reason why we're longing for and preferring comfort is that we're exhausted. I found throughout those difficult out-of-control seasons in 2022 for me that I would be longing for comfort, and that was a sign that I was exhausted, overwhelmed, and headed towards burnout. And so comfort sometimes is a sign, hey, I'm longing for the wrong thing. Comfort can also be a warning sign that I'm living in an unhealthy way. 
All of us, I just want you to pause for a second and think about this question. How did you grow and change last year? Like think back to January 1st of 2022 and think back through the past 12 months, the highs and the lows. How did you grow? How did you change? How did God work in your life? And I would hazard a guess from my own experience personally and from pastoring for 15 or 20 years that that what happened is that you changed and grew not in the most comfortable times, but the most uncomfortable ones. We rarely change when things are easy and comfortable, but we often change when things are hard and uncomfortable and difficult. As the cliche goes, you don't change in your comfort zone. You don't grow there. And so I'd encourage you, beware of making comfort your number one priority. Finally, third enemy is callousness. Callousness. Every Sunday, I'm blown away at the talents that people have that I don't. I listen to our team leading us in musical worship, and I'm just in awe. I sang in my youth choir as a teenager, and I realized that was not my calling in life. I took one year of guitar lessons in high school, and uh, I still can't play Amazing Grace on a guitar. I took two weeks of piano lessons from my mom. Two weeks, that's how well it went. Had two lessons. So when I watch the team up here, or I watch the team on Christmas Eve, I'm just blown away because they have skills that I don't. But part of what has enabled them to develop those skills is not just the hours and hours and hours of practice. It's what's happened to their body. Jake... And Hans and Josh, who was playing drums today, who also plays guitar, if you went to them, they would all have calluses on their fingertips. It's what enables them to play guitar so well, because when you first start playing guitar, it's actually painful to press those strings into the fretboard. But over time, they develop calluses on their fingertips, so they no longer feel the pain and discomfort, and they begin to just make beautiful music. Well, here's what I discovered in 2023, 2022, that's leading to 2023. Callous fingers create beautiful music, but a callous heart destroys a beautiful life. And for some of us, we've developed calluses on our hearts that are keeping us from experiencing what God wants to do because that callus is a hard place that's covering over a wound. The one thing that probably happened to all of us at some point this year was we got hurt disappointed, let down by somebody. Often the people who are closest to us actually leave the deepest hurts, the deepest wounds. And those calluses that develop over our hearts are not helpful like the ones that are on the the fingers of a guitar player. And when life shatters us and we get hurt, what happens is that we tend to protect ourselves in that place so we don't get hurt again. But the problem is that often protects us from the very thing that God wants to do. And I believe that God wants to speak to you today and throughout this year. But if your heart is calloused and you're not open, you're not sensitive to his spirit, he may be speaking, but you're not going to be listening and you're not going to hear it. So what does all of this have to do with where we are? Well, we made a decision last year that in these moments that land in between larger series— like today, where we're not ready to start something new, but we've already finished what we've done, that we're going to spend time leaning into who we are as a church. 
And so a couple times in November, today, and then a few times throughout the rest of this year, we're going to talk about who we are as a church when it comes to eight core values that we've uh, come to over the last couple years as a staff and a board. And the one that we picked for today, because it felt like a great one to start a new year, is called Surrendering to Jesus' Agenda. One of our eight values as a church is that we value surrendering to Jesus' agenda. And here's what that means. If you, have, if you have a handout, we have this written out for you there. We, surrendering Jesus' agenda means that Jesus is the head of Cornerstone, and we follow his leadership. So even though I have the title of lead pastor, I'm not actually in charge here. I'm just the, the lead follower, following the leadership of Jesus. The value says we don't allow selfish agendas to drive or divide our church, practicing the discipline of surrender continually. By praying together, we release our wills and invite God to unite us under his leadership. Now, essential to this value is this word surrender. So, so what is surrender? What does surrender mean? Well, according to the dictionary, surrender means giving up one's will— and subjecting one's thoughts, ideas, and deeds to the will and teachings of a higher power. But what's interesting is that when it comes to surrender in our world, we tend to view surrender this way as, as giving up, as losing. So if you're in a battle and your side surrenders, you lose. If you're in a negotiation and you surrender, you lose. But with Jesus, surrender is not giving up to lose, it's giving up to win. It's recognizing that you want what God wants for your life, and so you're going to submit and subject yourself, your thoughts, your ideas, your actions to his will and his teaching. So here's the big idea if you're taking notes today, and I've seen a couple of you writing down things. Here's the big idea. If I surrender to Jesus' agenda, I'm admitting that my agenda is not his, and his matters most. So, so if, if I have to surrender to his agenda, what that means is that our agendas are at odds. I don't actually want everything Jesus wants. I'm not actually pursuing everything Jesus wants. And so I need to surrender and submit myself to him. And in doing that, I'm saying, you know what? It's not my agenda for this year that's most important. It's his. And one of the best places in scripture that we see this value expressed is in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, I am going to get to the Bible. And so in John chapter 21, we see a beautiful passage of surrender. If you're new to the Bible, John is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's the final account of the life and teaching of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And in John 21, 15 through 19, we see this, this powerful exchange between Jesus and one of his followers named Peter. Now, before we jump in, I, I need you to understand the backstory of, of Peter. And so I don't presume that everybody here is a Bible expert. I don't presume that you all read through the Bible this past year because I just know the stats. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about who Peter was. Peter was the kind of guy who was brazen and impulsive. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. He lived with his foot in his mouth. He was constantly fire, aim, ready. Not ready, aim, fire. 
And so he was always saying things and then thinking after that. It was part of that boldness that actually led him to get out of the boat and step out and walk on the water with Jesus. I mean, we often, you know, kind of poo-poo Peter because he, you know, took his eyes off Jesus, but he was the only one who had enough boldness to actually get out of the boat. So I think Peter wins for that one. You know, Thomas and Andrew were in the back, you know, scared. But Peter also had a moment where Jesus turned around to him at one point and said, hey, get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, Peter's high highs and low lows. You ride the waves with Peter. Near the end of Jesus' life, though, Peter raised his hand during the Last Supper, which we're going to commemorate in a little bit with communion. And he said, hey, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. I'm never going to abandon you. I will always be with you. You can always count on me. Peter began to get frustrated when Jesus was not doing what he thought, and they were arresting Jesus. And so he pulled out his trusty sword, chopped off a man's ear. Like I said, he had a wild life with Jesus. And then finally, on the night before he was crucified, a rooster crowed, and Peter realized that he had done the exact thing he swore he would never do. He denied Jesus three times to Jesus's face. Some of you, you had a terrible 2022. I mean, you had some moments last year that you hope you can forget. You blew it. Maybe you hurt people you loved. Maybe you feel like you disappointed God. You didn't live out the resolutions you started the year with, and you're sitting here going, man, I hope this year is different because I need a do-over. Well, if that's you, Peter is your guy. And if that's you, this is a passage you need to hear. So, into the text, John 21, verse 15. When they, and that's they as the disciples of Jesus, had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said to Jesus, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to Jesus, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Jesus asked Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. Now it's a short passage, just five verses But what happens here changes the course of not only Peter's life, but history. Peter becomes an instrumental leader in the church. He becomes the the first person to lead someone who's not a Jew to become a follower of Jesus. Jesus speaks this message through an angel to Peter that, that there is no longer a divide between Jews and Gentiles, that all are welcome into the family of God. And because most of you here today are not Jewish, you have Peter to thank for embracing that message and carrying it forward. Peter plays this profound role in the church, but only because he surrenders to the forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers him, and he surrenders to the agenda that Jesus has. 
And back to the big idea, if we're doing that, we're admitting that Jesus's agenda is not ours, but his matters most. And like happens for Peter, and this would have been my big idea if I hadn't decided on this one, surrender always comes after a struggle. Like, think about that. In all those places and times in your life when you surrendered, that didn't just happen like that. It happened after a struggle. It happened after a season. It happened after a wrestling. And so if you're in that struggle today, I just want to encourage you, maybe it's time for the struggle to end and the surrender to begin for you to embrace what God is doing, even if it doesn't match your expectations. So as we think about this new year, we want to avoid comfort. We want to avoid control. We want to avoid callousness because those are going to get in the way. So what do we need to embrace? Well, in contrast to those things, there's three postures that we need in 2023. And these are all going to have a physical component that I'm going to invite you to practice this morning. And the first one is releasing. In this year, we need to practice releasing. So... Once you write down that word, if you're taking notes, I want you to just take your hands like this and clench your fists. Just set them on your lap for a second. A lot of us live like this. We live with clenched fists. I don't mean you're a boxer. I don't mean you have road rage. I mean you live holding on as tight as you can to what you have. Maybe you do that with your kids because you're afraid for them. Maybe you do that with your money, because at one point you didn't have any. Or maybe you do that out of fear and worry for the future. But this is the posture of control. This is the posture of having to be in charge. And what I want to invite you this year to do is begin to practice releasing. Going from this to this. In 2023, I want to invite you that instead of controlling, I want to invite you to learn to release. Because that's what Peter had to do. Because Peter was following Jesus, and again and again, Jesus didn't get the memo from Peter on who Jesus was supposed to be. That's why he turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was trying to be a consultant for Jesus on how to be a good Messiah. And Jesus didn't hire a consultant. He didn't ask for coaching. He was the expert. He was calling the shots. He was in charge. Peter chopped off a guy's ear because messiahs aren't supposed to get arrested. Peter denied Jesus because messiahs aren't supposed to die. And again and again, Jesus was not the messiah Peter wanted or thought he was going to follow. And he had to release his expectations of Jesus. Can you relate to Peter? Has Jesus not followed your plans? Has Jesus not taken your consulting? Has he not been open to your input? See, the reason that we're releasing and surrendering our agendas to Jesus is that our agendas are not his. Like the basic fundamental we all need to embrace is that 100% of the way you see the world is not 100% the way that God sees the world. All the time. 
So what that means is right now you are wrong about something. I don't know what it is, but I'm wrong about something too. There's some part of my thinking, my theology, my worldview that is not Christ-like because if it was, there would be no reason for me to still be here on earth. I would be fully Christ-like and I'd be in heaven with God. But while we're still here, we can't be in control. Only he can. So this year, we need to begin this posture of releasing. The second posture we're going to need in this new year is what I call requesting. Requesting. Once you write that word down, I want you to take those open palms and set them back on your knees again. I think all of us at some point in this last year have spent some time praying and asking God to do something. Maybe you spent last night or this morning saying, God, in this new year, here's, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm hungering for you to do. But when we do that, when we resist the pursuit of comfort and we invite God to do his will and we ask and request things from him, what that means is that he's probably very well is going to lead us into discomfort. Like if you ask God to do his will in your life this year, I promise you one thing, you're going to be uncomfortable. He's going to lead you away from the place where you depend on yourself and you can do it all on your own. And he's going to lead you into the place where you're going to have to depend on him. That's Peter's story. Back in the text here in, in John 21, what What Jesus says to Peter is he says, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk where you wanted. You were in charge of your life. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Essentially, what he's saying is that you're no longer going to be in charge of your life. And you're going to go places and do things that you wouldn't do if you were in charge of your life. Ultimately, Peter would die on a cross upside down as a follower of Jesus. They said, we're going to crucify you. He said, well, can you at least crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to be killed in the same way my Messiah was. Peter was led into a future that he was not in charge of. Three weeks ago, my mom called me in the middle of a day. And my mom is not a millennial, obviously. I'm the millennial. But when she does call me in the middle of a work day, I just know something's wrong because she's always the texter. And so she called me to tell me that she was going to be heading on a plane soon, that my grandmother uh, had had a stroke. And so the last few weeks, she's been there with her and helping her through the days after her stroke, swallow tests, learning to eat again. She still has a tube in her stomach. We started the year, the beginning of this year, burying her husband, my grandfather, And so I'm just reminded of the fragility of life. And then going to the ER four times, having your gallbladder out, I'm reminded of the fragility of my life. And something hit me in the midst of all that thinking. You know, we're born dependent on others, and we die dependent on others. But in between, we do our best to be as independent as possible. I mean, our nation is founded on a declaration of independence. And it was good that we pursued independence from what we felt like was unfair rule. But that independent streak runs strong in us. And let me just tell you, 
If you want to follow the God who wrote this book, the pathway to becoming like his son is not independence. It is deep dependence on him and deep interdependence on others. I know it's not the American way, but it is the way of Jesus. And so part of requesting isn't just requesting from God, it's requesting from others. At some points this year, you're going to have to phone a friend and say, hey, I need some help. And guess what? That doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a terrible person. It makes you human. He designed you and created you to be interdependent. We'll get into this next week in our new Find Your People series. But God designed us from the very beginning to need each other. So part of our posture this year has to be requesting. And then the final part of the posture is is receiving. Receiving. We're releasing. We're requesting. And then if you get your palms ready again, we're receiving. We're receiving. See, what Jesus gives Peter in this passage is he gives him grace and forgiveness three times Peter denied Jesus, and three times Jesus gives Peter a second chance. It's the mirror. He keeps asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because three times Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. And the third time he cussed. He was really serious. He didn't know Jesus. And this year, I believe one of the things God wants to do in your life is he wants to put something in your hand. He wants to give you something. And some of us, the hard part is our hearts are so hard and our fists are so clenched that God can't put anything in our hands. And so I wonder if this year is a year that you need to just slowly begin cracking the callus and opening the door to allowing God to give you something that you need for this year. Years ago, I served under a pastor and he was in his 70s. He was, there was his final pastorate. And he said, Scott, my greatest fear is when I go to heaven and I stand before God, God's gonna ask me a question. And it's not, do you know me? Because I know that I know him. My greatest fear is I'm gonna get to heaven and God's gonna say to me, why didn't you let me bless you more? I had so much I wanted to do for you and I had so much I wanted to give you, but you, you couldn't receive it. You had no place for it. You wouldn't let me. And I think some of us don't have a vision of God that he is that loving father. After all, Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the heavenly father want to give good gifts to you? And you can't receive a gift in a closed fist or a calloused heart. So part of the posture of receiving is allowing God to do that healing work and then to begin to surrender to him. So let me give you some next steps this morning to put those, practice, those postures into practice. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you this week to ask yourself, what is Jesus inviting me to release? And as you begin to make that list, if there's more than one thing on that list, 
then I want to encourage you to entrust those things to his care. There's a difference in our English language between trust and entrust. To entrust something is to take something and give it to someone who is capable or worthy of taking care of it. And the things that you've been holding on to, the things that have been in your clenched fists, you're not just abandoning them. You're transferring them from your care into his care because Jesus is actually capable of caring for them more than you are. Like if your kids are in your clenched fists and maybe you need to release them. I said this earlier this year, but it bears repeating. You love your kids, but God loves them more. He does. You want them to have a great future. God has an even better future for them than even you have in mind. And so you can entrust them to his care. The second practice is to ask yourself, what am I requesting from Jesus this year? Like, what is it that you want him to do? If you were to think about my, my friend, my former pastor's line, you know, Jesus asking you, why didn't you let me bless you more? Then, then what are you requesting from Jesus this year? What do you want him to do in your life? And, and once you have that list, I want to encourage you to share those requests with a couple of trusted friends. Because God may answer your prayer not through a random breakthrough in the sky, but through people. Most of my prayers in 2022 were answered through people. And so share those requests with people because they may be the very instruments that God uses to answer those requests. That's the second next step. And here's the third one. I want you to take a walk this week. May get some weather later this week, so maybe it'll be a fun, snowy walk for you. Take a walk this week and meditate on this prayer, Jesus what are you wanting to put into my hands? And maybe you just walk like this with your palms open. Say, Jesus, what do you want to put in my hands this year? If you're a resolution person, make them. If you're a goal person, set them. If you're a plan person or a word selector, do your thing for this new year. But then after you've done all that work, Take those plans, take those goals, take that word, take that vision board and lay it at the feet of Jesus and surrender that to his agenda. That's who I hope we are as a church in the year that's opening today. Jesus, we thank you so much for your work in the past year and we pray for your work in the year to come. We pray that you would accomplish your purpose and your agenda in our life and that means that we have to surrender our agendas to you. We pray that you would give us everything we need to accomplish everything you have for us in this year that is to come. And we give you glory in advance for it. In your name we pray, amen.